0: Chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, and then we're going to go to verses 27 through 35. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread, so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number, Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Then later, Jesus said to them, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, Shall never thirst. May God add His blessing to the reading of His Word.
1: This morning we um, are picking back up with the series in the Gospel of John uh, that we were in before we we paused for Advent and and Christmas. And uh, if you recall, uh, John, uh, throughout his gospel, keeps using this word sign uh, wherever Jesus does something miraculous. He, he says, listen, there's a lot of things uh, um, too numerous to mention that Jesus said and that he did, things that he taught, miracles that he performed, and I'm not going to be able to go uh, into everything, but he does recount for us certain what he calls signs uh, that powerfully and unmistakably... A remind us of Jesus' divine identity and why Jesus came, what Jesus came for. And this sign that we come to this morning in in John chapter six, the feeding of the five thousand. Uh, This miracle is the only miracle that's recorded in all four gospel accounts. It's in Matthew, it's in Mark, it's in Luke, and it's in John. And and, and that tells us that this is important. All four gospel uh, writers uh, thought this is what the people need to to read about. Uh, They need to understand this about Jesus. It's imperative. But John is actually the only one that gets to the end of his narrative, and he tells us why it's important. Uh, He tells us that there is something signified at the deepest level when Jesus is feeding the 5,000. And here's the key verse, verse 35. Verse 35 says, when the people ask Jesus, hey, we we want this bread, he says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, does that mean that when we come to Jesus that we physically will never get hungry again? No, of course not. And so there's something that he's speaking about that is happening at a deeper level, and it, and it all hinges around this idea of bread that he talks about. And you see, for the ancient people, bread meant something so much more than it does for us in our culture, where, where, where bread might not actually mean a lot. Uh, Because uh, for people who who didn't have great access to the luxury of, of meat or the unbelievable variety of food like we enjoy, bread was essential. Bread was the heart of the meal. And it came, therefore, to essentially symbolize life itself. And as I say, it's hard for us to get our heads around that in our world of of artisan loaves and supermarkets and, and gluten free diets, and and because we are though, familiar with the word bread, we can assume that we know what it represents when we come to it, across you know, come to it in in the scriptures. But in our world, bread is optional, right? In fact, as, as pastor and writer Sam, Sam Alberry points out, uh, when a waiter asks if you would like a bit of bread for the table, uh, we might say no, seeing it as you know, a, an appetizer before the real food comes out. And it's because of that we, that we can read the sort of take it or leave it approach in, in, into our Bibles. But, but in the biblical world, bread is essential. It is life-giving. Without it, you starve. Without it, you die. And so, whereas we 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 think it's fairly obvious that as the Scripture says, "Man does not live by bread alone," and, and might even take it as a biblical invitation to a, a you know a, a very diet, the the people of Israel would have thought the very opposite. For them, the idea that human beings were more dependent on God's word than on bread that the the essential food for everyone that they had ever met was so weird that it took 40 years of coriander flake wafers miraculously falling out of the clear blue sky for them to get the message. Because if you remember the Exodus story, remember what happened? The people of Israel were were enslaved in, in Egypt, and then God miraculously delivered them, rescued them out of Egypt, and as they were on their way to the promised land, and you read this narrative all the way through the book of Exodus, they were in the wilderness, there was nothing to eat, they would have starved, but, but what did God do? He would miraculously rain down bread from heaven. They are wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years, and every day, God provided for them. He provided food, what the scriptures call manna. And this manna would appear on the ground each morning, and all the Jews would have to do is go outside, gather as much as they wanted, and then bring it in. And this manna would, would nourish and sustain them. And, and that is what the Passover is celebrating. It's remembering all of that. And as chapter 6, as we just heard read, as it reminds us, it was the celebration of Passover that was taking place at this time. It was the time with the, for the celebrating of God's rescue and provision for them. And in John chapter 6, as we we read this narrative, these people, 5,000 people gathered here. And in fact, it says 5,000 men. And so I think we can safely assume that there were most likely women and children there as well. So maybe as many as 10,000 people are there on this mountainside, and they're without food, and they're hungry. And Jesus is the provision for them. He gives them bread. He feeds them. In their hunger, he feeds them. And so this miracle, this sign in John 6, reminds us that Jesus is the true and better Moses who is leading a true and better exodus to to rescue God's people from sin and death and to provide for them abundantly in their need. And that's one reference point that the people might have thought about in reference to what is taking place in this chapter. And another reference that They may have thought about being familiar as they were with the ritual system of the Jewish people, and this might have also been something that that, that connected with them, that outside the holy place in the temple, there was the table of showbread, a table that had 12 loaves of fresh bread placed there, and the priests would eat it and replace it each Sabbath, and it represented something important. You see, because bread was seen as essential, it was also highly communal. I mean, if you're you're, you know, you're familiar with the, the phrase breaking of bread, let's break bread together. If I bring someone into my home, if I break bread with you, it has significance. It's an open invitation to my table to, to break bread. Bread with someone, that puts you into an intimacy. To be in a situation where you're sitting across a table and you're sharing food with someone. To break bread with someone, it means that we're friends. In a world where you needed bread for your family to survive, breaking bread with someone, tearing your loaf and giving a chunk of it to someone else was a significant act of inclusion, even intimacy. Again, we, we can find this hard to understand because uh, so many of us are, you know, eat our daily bread alone and in silence. Maybe we, as we drive, in our, drive alone in our cars or we sit at our desks alongside dozens of other people doing the same thing with no sense of community whatsoever. But in ancient Israel, to break bread with someone was to welcome and accept them and give them something very valuable. That's why the psalmist feels such betrayal when he is attacked by, as he says in Psalm 41, verse 9, my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread. Because to invite someone to share in your loaf was to invite them to share in your family. Breaking bread was also, in ancient times, was a way that that you would ratify a covenant or make a truce between two parties. You sat down and you ate, you broke bread together. Now, a scripture that came to mind as I was thinking about this this week was was, uh, Exodus 24. If you remember in Exodus, um, when when the people of God were taken out of Egypt, they were on their way to the promised land, and they came to the base of Mount Sinai. And remember that Mount Sinai, it represented the presence of God. So there was thundering and there was lightning and God said, I am so holy. Don't come close. Don't touch the mountain or you will die. It was a reminder that there was was a separation, a reminder that God is infinite and you are finite, that God is holy and pure and you are sinful and flawed. You can't touch the mountain. But there's this one place in Exodus 24 where God tells Moses, he says, go get the 70 elders of Israel and sprinkle them with the blood of the sacrifice. And so in other words, God atones for their sins. And then he says, now bring them up, up on the mountain. I mean, can you imagine being one of those 70 uh, elders and going, "Ah, uh, yeah, I don't think so. But God says to him, no, no, you can come on up. I've atoned for your sin. You can come up. And you can come and be with me. And so they they come up. They touch the mountain. And they don't die. They come near. And they have this amazing experience. As chapter 24 tells us. Then Moses and Aaron. Nadab and Abihu. And 70 of the elders of Israel went up. And they saw the God of Israel. And God did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God. And they ate and drank. Do you know what you were made for? To eat and drink in the presence of God. That's what you were made for. But our sin separates us. And so when we think about the holiness of God, we think about that mountain. I can't touch it, I can't be near it. But they went up on the mountain. They were being brought into the presence of God and they weren't being killed. He didn't raise his hand against them and and he said, I want relationship with you and they ate and drank in God's presence. They broke bread. Breaking bread with God meant not only that he was your king but that he was your friend. That the God who is transcendent is also now near. And in Luke's account... In his account of the, the feeding of the 5,000, in Luke 9, verse 11, it says that Jesus welcomed them. That is, he welcomed the people uh, as they gathered. Uh, 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 another display of the character of God, the welcome of God on display. And then in John six eleven, it says, "God, uh, Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. In other words, God, again, is telling the story that God has been telling all, again and again all along, that it is by grace that you would come and be able to eat and drink in the presence of God. And this is what these people did. These 5,000 people are now sitting and doing what the people did in, in Exodus. They were eating and drinking in the presence of God. Jesus is serving a meal that, that calls to memory God's welcome and God's feeding his people with the bread of life. And so this miracle, this sign in in John 6 references back to all that God has done. But it also points forward to all that God will do in the future. One of my absolute favorite passages in all of of Scripture is found in Isaiah 25. Let me read it to you. This is is verses 6 and 9. Uh, through 9 of of Isaiah 25. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears From all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. So, in the midst of this worship, what are they doing? They're eating and they're drinking in the presence of God. And this is a theme that carries all the way through Scripture. This feast is known as the the messianic banquet. It looks forward to to the day when when God's Messiah will defeat death fully and finally, putting putting the world right and enabling us to enjoy God's presence. Something that he has already started for us when he came the first time and that he will finalize when he comes again. It's a description of God's world of provision and plenty and satisfaction. In other words, the feeding of the 5,000 was also a sign of what was to come. It was a sign of what was to come, of Jesus as the host of God's great banquet, just as he was the host of this dinner in the wilderness. And it's interesting because all the the disciples, they're there. um, They ate their fill as well. And then what did they collect afterwards? Twelve basketfuls. One for each of them. One for each guy to just remember that this is what God has done and will continue to do. But what about us? I mean, we weren't there. We're, we're reading this. It, it kind of seems beyond imagining. How is this applicable to us? Well, we've been reminded again this week, haven't we? As, as, indeed, because, as indeed we are each week of just how much hunger and pain and suffering and want are in our world. And even maybe in our neighborhoods where, where, where you might have enough to eat, maybe, you also have a longing for something else. The, the, there's something that you don't, you're, you're, you're not really satisfied. You may, may not long for bread, but you long for meaning or for intimacy or fulfillment or community or purpose or joy. I mean, don't we really long for, the world to be sorted out? Don't we long for true justice to finally come? I mean, the world that we rule over is full of famine and injustice and war and broken communities and families that are really messed up. That is what our kingdom looks like. And Jesus is giving us a glimpse here of something more. He's giving us a glimpse of a world that he came to renew and and recreate. Just as a side note, the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Jesus is, as it were, throwing this party, if you like. In the Gospel of Mark, it comes right after. Mark puts this story immediately after, after the story of another party. It's pretty interesting. King Herod. King Herod throws a, a, a party for himself, he throws a birthday party, um, and he invites all the famous people, he invites all the important people, he throws this party for, for, for people that would be impressed so that he could be impressive, and his stepdaughter does this dance and then manipulates Herod into having John the Baptist murdered. And Jesus welcomes everyone to his party, the poor included. And Jesus' motivation is compassion. Uh, He proclaims good news and the party ends with everyone satisfied. Herod, on the other hand, welcomes the in crowd. The poor are, are excluded. He's motivated by pride and the need to save face. And his party ends in death. I mean, the contrast couldn't be starker. Jesus proclaims, blessed are those who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who hunger now. Or you will be satisfied. This is the promise of a coming kingdom and a coming feast where the poor and the broken and the hungry who recognize their need and turn to Jesus will one day receive the kingdom fully and finally and enjoy this eternal banquet. And the 12 baskets that are full are just but a foretaste. It's just a reminder that of the overflowing, abundant feast that is to come. And so on this mountainside, a group of needy people gather together and share food with Jesus at the center, with Jesus as the provider, and we see a glimpse of God's coming world right now. And you know, similarly, when we gather, when we gather around our tables with one another, as a group of needy people who share food with Jesus at the center, With Jesus as the provider, we are also given a glimpse of God's coming world right now. In other words, understand, Christian community is the beginning and sign of God's coming world. And and no more so than when we eat together. Our meals are, are a foretaste of the future feast of God. Our meals are a proclamation, a demonstration of the good news. I really believe that. If, you're, if, you, if you've been part of Redeemer for any length of uh, time at all, this is a drum that I beat often. In fact, that's why we've incorporated the very idea of a table of plates set at, at a table into our very church logo because it communicates something absolutely vital. It communicates something significant. Hopefully all of this gives us some idea of the depth and richness and of of Jesus' extraordinary words in John 6.35 when he declares, I am the bread of life. Jesus isn't saying that he is a a savory appetizer or a side dish or a popular choice among people who, who like their spirituality, nutritional and fresh from the oven. No, 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 he is claiming to be essential to be life-giving, one upon whom human beings are entirely dependent and without whom we cannot function properly. He is claiming to be manna in person, the son of God, the gift of God, come down from heaven to nourish people who would otherwise die of hunger. He is saying that Our need for literal bread, which he's happy to provide for having just fed 5,000 people from a lunchbox, pales in comparison with our need for him. Now, if you look at verse 27, we're going to just look at this last part of this narrative leading up to where Jesus says, "Um, I'm the bread of life, because when Jesus says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. Well, you have to see that, that see that it actually explains, it is the fulfillment of what's going on starting at verse 27. Do not work for food that perishes, he says in verse 27, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And in verse 28, they say, well, what must we do to do the works of God? And Jesus says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. They say, verse 31, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. So this is a reference to to Exodus. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus says to them, don't you understand, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my father who gives you true bread from heaven. This This is really what this means. There is this deep hunger. Every person here, every one of us, we have something. We are trying to find something that moves us from simply existing to living. Think about this idea of life. He says, I am the bread of life. Do you have life right now? Well, yeah, you do. But, but you know, have you, ever had, have you ever had that moment, like, after a great meal, where you just feel like everything is right with the world? You know, we excel at this in Sonoma County with all of our amazing food and drink and weather. And you know, you know that experience when you go out to your, you know, your favorite restaurant with your friends and you order some drinks and food and you talk about life and, and the weather is just glorious and it's just an amazingly beautiful evening. And you leave that feeling that there's nothing better than this. This is, this is, this is just, oh, this is living. This is the life. But the fact of the matter is that while, while we have satisfaction in that moment, the next day we wake up and we're hungry again. We have to make more food. Like as good as that meal is it does not sustain us past 12 hours. And as much as we might say in that moment, man, this is the life. Is it really the life? Is it really the life? No. No, it it doesn't mean that we actually become alive. It just means that we have tasted something where we go, man, this is good. Because all of us are looking for something that we can finally look at and say, this is the life, right? And here's the problem. We keep looking. There's something that we find and it's like, oh, this is good. But it, but it, doesn't, it doesn't satisfy. We keep finding something else to say, this is the life. And Jesus is telling them, look, you're, you're, you're looking to things. And if you look to anything except me to say, this is the life, it will spoil. And again, Jesus is referencing the manna story. And, and remember uh, what would happen. God warned him, I'm going to give you enough For today, this is the man of story. I'm going to give you enough for today. Don't hoard it. Just take what you need for today, and I'll be back tomorrow, and I'll give you more tomorrow. But what did they do? They do the same thing that you and I do. He may not. He may not. The promise might not be there. So what if I just take a little bit extra? What if I just look for some other little way to to kind of make sure that I can be satisfied and they would hoard it and it went bad. It's spoiled, filled with worms. What was God saying to them? I want you to depend on me. I want you to trust me. The manna is not gonna save you. I'm going to save you. And the reason that people would hoard it is because they're like, hey, yeah, God provided today. But maybe he won't tomorrow. It was a failure to trust that God would indeed provide. And here's what Jesus is saying. There are a lot of great things in this world. They're gifts from God. Your family or your career or your abilities or your health. All of these things. It may be a cause that you're giving your time and energy to that is a very good thing. But those things are not ultimate thing. And if those things become ultimate things, those things will spoil they will spoil. They will not give you life. They will take life from you. They're all good things, but, but, but when they become the main thing that, that you move into, oh, this is the life, your main joy, the main source of meeting, they will spoil. And Jesus, when he calls us to pray, he says, give us today our daily bread. It is trusting that God's daily provision ultimately is in Christ. And I love this. I, I've talked a little bit uh, about John's account of the story, but I'm going to wrap up with, with, with Luke's account. Because in Luke's account of the story, there is, there's something interesting. It's in, it's in Luke 9. And it says that Jesus took the five loaves and two fishes. He looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And later on in Luke 22, Luke talks about another meal that has the same progression. And here it is. And Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He took bread, he thanked God, he broke it, and he gave it. The same pattern. The night before he died, when he gathered with his disciples for a final time before his betrayal, arrest, and death, he broke bread and said, this is my body, broken and given for you. And so when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, here's what he means. I am the God who has become bread. I am a God. I am the God made breakable and vulnerable to die on the cross for your sins. I am the God who who came to atone for the things that you have done. I am the God who has become weak and vulnerable and do all of the things that you should have done so that you can be saved by grace. That's the reason why I can reconcile you to the Father. That's the reason that we can be friends. That's the reason why, why the life of God, when it comes to you, it doesn't kill you, but it gives you life because he came to atone for your sin. Verses 28 and 29, they say, well, what must we do to be doing the work of God? That's a great question, isn't it? But but what do we do? What do we do? And Jesus says this, this is the work of God. You believe in him whom he has sent. That all of life and obedience and all of those things flow out of that out of that, out of belief in him whom God has sent. It doesn't lead that, it flows out of that. That's what we do. And what does that mean for us this morning? Well for some of us it means that we do the we 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 do for the first time, you know, that, that we do that for the first time. You know, something finally clicks for us, the penny drops, and we're like, oh, this, this ultimately, this is the ultimate provision of God. I see Christ differently now. I see that he is the provision of all that I need. But for many of us, we would call, already call ourselves Christians. I well, mean, You know what this, this means? You don't just feast on Jesus one time. It's not like a thing somewhere back then, some ascent of faith that I had. No, it's something that every day God gives us a means of grace to remind us. God gives us means of grace so that we can be reminded every day that, that, that we have everything in life through the finished work of Christ. I mean, that's why he's given us the means of grace. That's why, why prayer is important. Why is prayer important? Oh, you need to pray more. No, it's not for that. It's a means that God gives to say, this is the grace of, 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 that God gives to us to be able to come into his presence. We have access to God because of Jesus. Why do we... Read the Scriptures out of just some simple you know, step of obedience? No, it's because the Scriptures tell us this incredible story of the Lord Jesus. It tells us the incredible story about bread, and it shows us the way that Jesus is the bread of life. Why do we come on a, you know, on a Sunday together? Well, I hope that this is something that will give us life that will equip us for the week ahead. Jesus is not just to be believed once and then, then, then dismissed to other things, but he is our strength in our life every day and feeding on him and feeding on the gospel and not on other things will actually make you the person that you're called to be and that you really want to be. Because I don't know about you, but for me, it's like I'm prone to wander. Actually, I do know about you. You are like me. You're, you're, we're all prone to wander. This is, this is something we all do. We start to think, okay, if I just had that, oh man, if this situation was just different, then life would be so much better. These aspirations and these situations and these things, I I have to constantly remind myself that no, these things that I'm desiring, they're not more life-giving than Jesus. They're not. They don't promise me life. Only Jesus does that. And as I said, if you have not received him, if there's anything in your life that you are trusting in for significance, for security, or for your salvation, if there's anything more important than, to you than Christ, it will spoil. Go to him. You can go to him. You can believe him. May he be the bread of life for you. But if you have walked with Jesus, uh, may he today be the bread of life for you as well, that that, that everything else, you, I mean, you look back at, at, at your week, you look back at your past few weeks, the last month, and you go, these things have been causing me such anxiety. These things have been causing me such pain. I'm, I'm so angry about this. I'm so sad about that. Uh, I want you to look at that. Maybe there's something in your life that you look at, and it's directly t- tied to the very thing that you've tried to make bread in your life. And would you be able just to offer that with uh, an empty hand of faith? And maybe that is what repentance looks like for us today. You know, all of these elements that we've talked about this morning um, come together gloriously in the Lord's Supper. You see, Jesus gives us an even better meal, and we're going to share that together uh, in a moment, because uh, the broken body of, of Jesus is, is vital for us. Without him and without his sacrificial death on our behalf, we, we, we die of spiritual hunger just as surely as we, as we would without bread. And so we come to the Lord's table this morning, and as we come, we come as needy, empty, uh, dependent people, desperately needing a meal from heaven to satisfy us and to strengthen us for the days ahead. And we come this morning to this table not worthy Uh, As the Book of Common Prayer puts it, to gather crumbs from underneath God's table. But we come confident, knowing that his nature is always to be merciful. And so he invites us, and we come. He spreads the table, and we feast. And so this morning, as we come and break bread, uh, the bread of Christ that has been given for us, it makes two profound statements this morning of inclusion. The first is that Christ has included us and given us the right to share with Him, to be, to, that all that is His is now ours. And the second is that on, on this basis, we include one another, expressing fellowship and hospitality and fellowship in the, in the communal meal. When, when we break bread together, we welcome one another as God in Christ has welcomed us. And so we come. We come this morning as, a, as an act of thanksgiving to God for his unimaginable grace in providing exactly what we need. We receive the body of Jesus as a gift and bless God for giving him to us. And we take the elements, we take them seriously, but not gloomily. Our worship is characterized by a, a, a spirit of thanksgiving and joy. Just as the ancient Israelite would give thanks to God for the gift of bread, we come with, the same, with the same, uh, from the same posture of thanksgiving and, and joy because our sins are forgiven because the body of Jesus has been broken for us at the cross and then handed around to all of the family to give us life. So this morning we feed on him in our hearts by faith. And with thanksgiving, let's pray. God, we come with hearts that want and need to receive life. We don't want to just eternally exist, uh, but we want to know what eternal life is about. I pray that through your spirit, you would use your word to create something in us, that you would use us to create life, that you would... That we would realize and recognize that you are the one who sustains, that we cannot force a situation or a circumstance or a relationship to make it the ultimate thing that sustains us. Would you even free us today to repent of those things? And we thank you that we can now come to this table that has been set for us, that has been prepared at great cost by the Lord Jesus. But he invites us, he welcomes the poor and the broken and the needy to come and have fellowship with him. And so we enter into the joy of that this morning as we pray in Jesus' name, amen.